Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We know you're already sitting on your couch drinking alone, so thanks for joining us. It's time for Brewing After Hours with Sarah Flora. Beer is like sunshine for the belly. Hi, I'm Sarah Flora. You may know me as Flora Brewing on Instagram and YouTube, where I dive into the technical aspects of making beer. My new podcast, Brewing After Hours, is going to take a different look at the history and stories behind beer. I'm going to bring you a story a week, as well as conversations with homebrewers and professionals in the industry. And of course, we'll be cracking some beers along the way. to Brewing After Hours. Today we're going to be talking about competitions. One that I think a lot of you will be familiar with that I find both fascinating and hilarious and it is the story of how Pabst Blue Ribbon got their Blue Ribbon. I'm sure a lot of you guys think that, you know, they actually won a Blue Ribbon, but uh, that has been debunked. Uh, <laughs> So I'm sure just from reading the cans uh, and seeing the fact that there's a blue ribbon on this beer can, you would assume they would have won a blue medal at some point. And the competition that they always said that the blue ribbon was from was the 1893 Chicago World's Fair, which was also known as the World's Columbian Exposition. It was basically a huge fair. I think it took place over the course of about 60 days. They basically built these huge fairgrounds, tons of pavilions. I think millions of people went to in the late 1800s. And like, if, if you want to get a good idea of what this looked like, uh, I like to think of the scene in The Prestige where you have the big Tesla ball and there's a bunch of people crowding around and people are terrified. So Tesla actually electrified this entire fair. It was one of the other notable things that were introduced for the first time there were shredded wheat, juicy fruit, cracker jacks, Zippers. Zippers were introduced at this fair. That is just mind-blowing to me. How were people putting on their clothes before? I guess buttons, but, you know, they had a lot of clothes to put on back then, and that just seems like it was a needed invention. So at this World's Fair, there was a ton of breweries who participated just to get their name out there. You know, it was kind of a word-of-the-mouth situation in marketing at that point. It's not like they had Instagram like we do today. They created these huge elaborate structures for this fair. It wasn't like your run-of-the-mill beer fest where you're just running a pop-up tent and serving beer out of jockey boxes. So the Pabst Brewery reputedly spent $100,000 on a gold model of the brewery and thousands more on their pavilion. And it had terracotta renderings of hops and barley their rival from Milwaukee, Schlitz, we've all had Schlitz, uh, they had an even more elaborate pavilion. So, so their stand basically was huge beer tons, which had been split to create a, like a room. And they were flanked by these huge figures who held their trademark globe 
ringed in glass and lit by electricity from within. To me, it seems like something you would almost see at a museum. So the story behind the competition is what really interests me about this. I mean, I am a huge fan of Beer Fest and love to think about how grandiose they used to be. But uh, getting into the Beer Fest, uh, the organizers wanted to keep the peace. So they didn't want the brewers to actually compete against each other. They wanted them to compete with their beers against a pointed scale. So basically anyone who out of 100 points got an 80 point score would get this bronze medal. And that was supposed to keep everyone happy and, you know, not start any bar fights. The criteria that they were using were purity, color, flavor, but some of the judges decided to go rogue and they basically made up their own scoring systems and different categories. It doesn't seem like there was a ton of oversight, which in the end caused this entire controversy. The brewers themselves basically decided that whoever scored the highest out of 100 would be the winner of the best beer in America. These were mainly US-based breweries that were competing, you know, Anheuser-Busch, Schlitz, Pabst, you know, all Midwest, all pretty much the same region and knew each other well. So you'll recognize two of the highest scoring breweries in this story. We've got Pabst on one end and Anheuser-Busch on the other. So the United States government was doing all these chemical analysis on this beer to make sure, you know, they were chemically pure and everything. And uh, there seemed to be a clerical error that happened. And the judges ended up awarding Pabst a couple extra points after the fact, which made them score higher than Anheuser-Busch. So Captain Frederick Pabst decided to take it upon himself to be the final judge and deemed Pabst the blue ribbon winner. There was no blue ribbons being given out. It was just the bronze medallions that everyone got. He just made such a big deal about it that it's been like notated in history that this happened. This pissed off Adolphus Bush who ran Anheuser-Busch, obviously. He was so mad that he charged Pabst with fraud and the chairman of awards, J. Boyd Thatcher, had to take the decision to a court of appeals to come to a final decision. In the end, they decided that Anheuser-Busch had won best beer. Budweiser was basically their flagship and that is what won the best. It didn't stop Pabst though. He just rubbed it in to Anheuser-Busch by draping their brewery in blue ribbons. He gave the whole staff a paid day off, basically making it like Pabst Day. They started adding blue silk ribbons to all the bottles of their best select beer, which is now known as PBR. You know, it's what all of us drank in college, at least I did. And this was all a marketing ploy so that they would stand out. Bottled beer was kind of a rarity at this time, but if you saw a blue ribbon winner on the shelf at your bar, you would supposedly want to buy it more. Neil Gale is a Illinois historian who actually researched the rules of the contest, found out that, you know, there was no blue ribbons involved. It was just these bronze medallions and basically busted this whole myth out of the water 
thanks to him, Pabst actually removed the language that said that they had won the Columbian Exhibition in Chicago on their website. So this was a myth up until 2015, it was on their website. And as of 2017, they've changed the wording so that it just says that, and this is true, that they added the blue ribbons in 1882 to signify other awards that they had won for their beer. So that obviously happened before this, but you know, it's a myth that has carried through and almost gave the blue ribbon thing more clout. In the end, this was all just a huge marketing ploy, which I find fascinating. Uh, you know, I'm a beer marketer myself. Marketing is such a funny thing. You can basically write your own history if you just market it well enough. So with that, we're gonna leave the 1800s and talk to my guest, Sandy Cockerham. She is a grandmaster level seven beer judge and the highest ranking woman in beer judging. And I'm gonna pick her brain about how to become a beer judge and what you should know about entering homebrew competitions. Sandy is the highest ranking female judge in the beer judge certification program. And I think you're top five, like in the whole program, right? Yes. It's an honor to have you on. I am so happy to be able to talk to you and pick your brain about competitions. I've been doing competitions myself for a while. You know, there's a lot that goes into the competitions that I think just entrants don't really have an idea about, about how all the judging works and how you become a judge. So I want to let people kind of get an idea of what all goes into it. But let's start with the obligatory homebrew question. How did you get started homebrewing? Well, it's kind of a funny story. When I was probably about 20, 21, my dad kept talking about how many, many years ago, probably in the 50s, he and his brother used to homebrew. So back then, you could still buy Peps Blue Ribbon malt extract in the store. This was a holdover from prohibition days when some of the breweries switched to making malt extract, which was always for baking. Although some people did bake with it. So my dad would tell me how he and his brother had made this beer with a couple pounds of corn sugar, this can of extract, and then they would bottle it in RC Cola bottles that they drank a lot of it. And so he had bought this can and it sat at our house for a while. And eventually I ended up with it and I kept talking about doing it. And then I had a roommate who was out at a yard sale and picked up a home brewing kit and it came home to me. And um, I may have eventually used the PBR malt, but um, I hit a local homebrew shop and made my first beer and it just spiraled from there. And that was probably about 1987. Yeah, I think it spirals for a lot of us. It becomes an addiction pretty quickly. <laughs> 
how does one become a beer judge and rise through the ranks of becoming a grandmaster? And now that you're at seven, what does that all take? The beer judge certification program was founded over 30 years, and it was to provide beer education and a, a means of certifying judges so that they understood styles and how to evaluate them and understood flaws. And it was really helpful if they homebrewed themselves or professional brewers, so they might have an idea of how to give feedback. Nowadays, we encourage more uh, of process, like tell people where to look for the information if a flaw is observed, because it's really, it's rough to assume what the person did. I mean, people can make great beers with extract. And so if you tell them that they need to change their grist bill, they're going to think you're an idiot. So you want to uh, couch terms in a more general but usable and then tell people where they can go look for information that will help them make better beer and to help them grow in their understanding of beer. But that all aside, the Beer Judge Certification Program modified in about 2012 to begin the program with an online exam that you take at home. Um, I think they've changed this a few times. I think currently it's like 200 questions in 90 minutes. They're all true, false, multiple choice. So you don't, you could look up the occasional thing, but you really should know the information so that you can just go bing, bing, bing through there. Included in there will be information about styles, technical information about brewing. There will be ethics questions, which are mostly common sense, but they're uh, things that judges should learn to make sure that they are always being ethical in their judging uh, endeavors. There'll be some ingredients and different kinds of things. And uh, people who have studied or people who have brewed a long time who really understand the styles and the ingredients often pass it on the first time if they look up the BJCP information first. So if you pass that, you're not a judge yet, but you do have what we call a certificate and that qualifies you to take a judging or tasting exam. And those are given by administrators in your area or someplace you travel to. And that would be a 90 minute exam, closed book, so you can't use the guidelines, where in 90 minutes you judge six different beers. And those are generally chosen to be some lighter styles, some darker, smaller in alcohol, bigger, uh, try to hit like English, Belgian, uh, German styles, American styles. So obviously you wouldn't get something that was all German and you don't get spicer veg and bourbon barrel and those kind of things. They stick to the basic styles. So if you pass that and passing score in that is a 60. If you've prepared, um, you're probably gonna pass. But when they're writing those sheets, be complete, but also use that sheet like under aroma, it will list malt, hops, fermentation character, et cetera. Make sure you talk about all of those on that exam and tell us how much, because the entrant, and then sometimes in this case, the grader, they wanna know what you were thinking. What did you perceive? Now, you might be sitting there, well, how in the heck would we know what they perceived? These exams always have two to three proctors. 
who are generally national and above judges who will taste the beers at the same time and will write a score sheet that becomes the eyes and the ears and the palate of the graders. So to get through all that, you have become a judge. So if you have scored uh, at least a 60, you're guaranteed to be a recognized judge. But if you're above 70 and have five judging points, you can be a certified judge. Now, if you have scored at least an 80, and then later you sit for the written exam, which would be a 90 minute exam with five exam questions, all longhand, and um, a little bit of ethics in the beginning that don't help you, but they can hurt you if you don't get them right. So that's, I encourage people sitting for the written exam to know those ethics cold. You get that sheet and you just go bing, 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 and then you can start your write-a-thon because you're gonna write a lot. Now, if you take that and you score at least a composite score of 80, oh, and I should mention that to, to have taken that in addition to the score of 80, you should have 10 judging points. They wanna make sure that you, know, you don't pass with an 80 and then take the written right away because you wouldn't have experience to understand the breadth of everything. If you've got the 80 composite score and you have 20 judging points, half of which have to come from judging, which we already talked about those 10 points, but you could have 10 uh, education credits through attending uh, classes that have been certified through our edu education directorate. With the, all that and 20 points, you'd be a national judge. Uh, national judges are usually the people that we think about being your baseline for best of show. They usually want national and above if they have that availability. Sometimes in a competition, you'll have all your nationals get a gold medal. And so you start going to the other judges and say, hey, have you ever done a best of show? And find someone who can help you. So hopefully you have a diverse um, group of judges. And like if I'm there, I haven't entered a competition for probably at least two years. So uh, generally I'm not opted out by having won a medal. So I usually get to be honored to sit at the best of show table. So that's how you get to national, which is uh, a solid rank that uh, people aspire to. And um, although I have to say the certified judges are really, in my opinion, the bread and the bones of the organization because there are so many of them. And in my competitions, I usually just have a big strong rank of certified judges. Some of them have skills far above national, but they just don't take the test. But to be a master judge, you do all that same stuff, but your composite score has to be a 90 or above. And you have to have 40 points of which um, 20 have to be from judging. Now, once you achieve the master rank, there are no more exams for you. The way you go to grandmaster is to work for the organization, uh, grade exams, be an officer, uh, be on a committee, those kind of things. And you earn what we call grandmaster service requirement points. But the other part in conjunction is that you have to judge and you have to judge a lot. And I'm fortunate to have judged a heck of a lot because I'm probably one of the more most prolific judges anywhere. Used to be Gordon and I were the most prolific, but he kind of slowed down a little bit. And last year, even with the pandemic, 
uh, or this year I've managed to judge at least 10 competitions, which uh, is kind of crazy, but uh, several of them, Great American Beer Festival, Mazer Cup, and Festival of Wooden Barrel Age Bear, Beers, all professional competitions. Um, used a lot of safety protocols, um, masks if you're moving around, uh, FOBAB and GABF had us wear a face shield when we were judging, so at least you had that kind of barrier. Um, so that's how you rise up the ranks. So every Grandmaster requires 240 service points and 100 uh, judging points, 100, 100 points, half of which have to come from judging. So you have to have at least 50 points each time you go up. I've judged, I have well over 400 judging points. So I have enough judging and extra points to go to Grandmaster 8 and hopefully by the spring I'll be there. Congratulations. Do you have a specific level you want to hit or are you just going to kind of go as you go? I'll probably keep going, but we have pins that go up to level 10. And Gordon Strong's currently at 14. <laughs> so what we decided to do was once you go above 10, you get a pin, the Grandmaster pin. I can't, I got to get close to that. So Gordon has one now that says Gordon and Steve Piotz, um, former managing exam director is currently Grandmaster 10. And when he goes to 11, I have a pin to send him that says Steve. So someday hopefully I'll have a Sandy pin and then I may just uh, keep doing my stuff, but let the younger people start to take over. One thing I love about um, just the beer community in general is uh, lightheartedness. I think we're all very serious about it, but at the same time, like making your own pins for your comrades who are doing great things. I, I really love that about everyone in the beer community. We have, a, we have a few jerks, but generally beer people are good people. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, uh, Come to find that out. I'm from the art world myself, so it's very, very different. <laughs> there seems to be a little, little bit more jerks in the art world than nice people. So, um, so do you have any advice on how to prepare to become a judge? So in the studying or in trying to learn how to taste uh, different kinds of things that you will be judging? Absolutely. One thing that if you have an interest, one of the earliest things you can do is volunteer to steward at a competition. So this is where you're, you're sort of the facilitators. You take the beers from the cellar crew out to the judges, present them. Sometimes they'll have you open them. I'm one of those weirdos. I always like to open my own and pour it the same way. So I give every beer a chance to form a proper head so I can do it a proper evaluation on that part of, of the appearance. But um, sometimes in that you can listen to the judges talking about and quite often they'll let you taste it, especially a really good one will let them taste. But also if you get one and you know your steward has an interest in learning about judging, say I get a really bad example of diacetyl or acetaldehyde, I'll say, hey, smell this, taste this, what do you perceive? Uh, acetaldehyde is a funny one because some people perceive it differently. We always hear green apple, um, 
latex paint is the way that manifests. But um, I have a master level friend that always thought maybe he was blind to acid out of hide until he, he did one of those little uh, spike sample kits and he learned he perceives it like fresh cut pumpkin. So that's another way of educating yourself is getting a, a tasting kit and spiking it into a neutral lager and just see how does your palate work? Because we're all different. We all have strengths and weaknesses. I used to be a lot better on phenols until after a bad car wreck, I got my nose rebuilt. And now I don't perceive phenols quite the way that I used to. So I had to re-educate myself again. Um, but another thing you can do um, early on is sit down with a judge friend and taste some beers together and discuss them and see how you're learning about uh, per perceptions. But other things you can do are study the BJCP style guidelines. You can download them on our website. That gets you the whole thing. Here's, here's a, a tip or a warning. If you use one of the apps, which I've got it and use it all the time, but the apps often cut out the beginning intro uh, part of a style where it'll give you some key tips. And so a lot of people won't read all that and, and they have a bit of a misconception which if you're entering into a beer competition, we'll probably talk about that one next. Um, if you don't understand the style correctly, you may misenter. Another thing is if you have a local homebrew club, definitely join them, camaraderie with other people, especially if there are judges in there. And if they happen to have a class where you can, uh, attend currently virtually, but when you had them live, then you could maybe one night you'd, you'd taste through the light loggers and discuss those and then get a flawed one. And so you can start to learn that way. And it's really good because you hear other people. Another thing that is good is if you have a good buddy and you both wanna become judges, do a lot of beer tasting together, work your way through the styles, uh, Try to get fresh examples, certainly. Otherwise, you're going to learn what oxidation tastes like really quick. But just work through those. Uh, you'll have a heck of a lot of fun, and you'll learn something along the way. i am almost got enough time to start studying again. I was for a while, but uh, I have a good friend who's been doing beer reviews with me, and we were t actually talking last night about she wants, she's a bartender, so she wanted to do Cicerone, but I was like, maybe we should do Beer Judge too. <laughs> and it's like, Beer Judge is a lot less expensive than Cicerone, at least. I know Cicerone's better if you're working in the beer industry as a server. It would be extremely fun to start uh, studying in that way. BJCP is more judging focused, where Cicerone is more service focused. So I occasionally have Cicerones who will judge in my competitions, but sometimes you have to bring them up a little bit to speed. They know the, they know the flaws and that kind of thing, but um, the score sheets might be odd to them, but a lot of people are both. So, you know, you always see that commercial about this or that, why not both? Well, why not both? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just more knowledge to gain. 
So do you have any advice for someone who might be entering a homebrew competition for the first time, what they should look out for, what they should make sure they do, what kind of beers they might want to enter? One thing, carefully, carefully, carefully read the rule because we have people who run afoul of not quite reading the rules correctly. You know, if you enter a beer that's in a 22 ounce bottle and the competition is not accepting 22 ounces, you'll be disqualified right off the bat. That's sad. Uh, so I, even if that's your preferred uh, bottle size to bottle in, always make sure you do some 12 ounces so you have something that will work for competition. Uh, if you have any questions, ask the, send the competition organizer and say, hey, I have this, is it gonna be okay? Ensure that you have looked at the styles and that what you're entering falls within a certain style. If you've got a really crazy beer, to get it in, you may have to enter it in a mixed style. So you may have a, I don't know, amber ale grist with a hefeweizen yeast. So, you know, you could put that as American amber, um, hefeweizen as your mixed style. If you put that in amber ales or in hefeweizen, you're out of style right off the bat. One time I was judging porter at a competition and somebody entered a barrel-aged porter in the porters. It couldn't win because it was out of style. You know, if you want to hit the bullseye, make sure you've got a target there and you're not throwing at the target three lanes down at the axe throwing place because you want to ensure that you're gonna get the best score for a proper beer. Now, if you're only going after feedback, it still helps if you're in the correct style because you're not gonna get all this, well, if you entered it as this style, you'd do better. What you want if you're just simply seeking feedback is for the judges to give you as much information about what they perceived on that beer. Try to only enter competitions that are BJCP certified. Um, that's not to diss other competitions, but you're more likely to get BJCP judges uh, who have experienced judging before, rather than if somebody gets five friends together who may have their own biases about styles, and sometimes judges have those too. Um, you know, I judge all sorts of styles. Some of them may not be what I drink, but you judge that beer according to its own style guidelines. That's the yardstick you're gonna use there. Just make sure you're doing it right. Send it in the right bottle. If they tell you to attach a label, rubber band, you can put that label inside a baggie so that it gets wet along the way. It doesn't mess it up. But don't be like some people and duct tape the bottle shut and stuff. Let me tell you, the guys at unpacking hate duct tape electrician tape, all those kind of things. So, you know, be kind to the people on, on the other end. Now, granted, do pack your entries well. If they get a, a box full of six broken bottles, you can't win. Yeah, I've, I've definitely had a box shipped back to me because FedEx wouldn't deliver because I had a leak. Ah. And uh, that was really disappointing. I think it was for Shebrew one year and uh, definitely missed out on that one. I would, I would like to judge that one sometime. 
that one and uh, Queen of Beer are the two that I always try to do every year, just because as women in the beer world, I think it's important to raise each other up and kind of make more space for women in general in the industry. I agree. Yeah, they're and that they're stiff competition. I usually place bronze in both of them, but like other competitions, I'm getting gold and I'm like, man, ladies are good brewers. <laughs> so why do you think homebrew and beer competitions are important? Well, just be be outright about it and say people do like the win. And so you will have um, some people who have really honed their craft and they're coming in to win and they they probably don't care as much about the feedback because some of them are really good judges themselves. But then there are a lot of people who, they don't have anybody nearby to give them feedback or, or they, you know, their friends are like, oh, this is great. Well, maybe it's not, it may be. Uh, your homebrew shop, sometimes they'll be objective. I know my uh, homebrew shop, Great Fermentations is pretty good about objective feedback, but some, not as much. But one of the beauties of BJCP certified competitions is that it's blind judging. So um, we're not supposed to know whose entry it is. So that's how we can give objective feedback. And, you know, we're encouraged to be polite. Sometimes you get some pretty awful beer. And so you describe what you're getting and then tell them what may have happened along the way. It can be pretty terrible. It can be pretty uh, wonderful. I've had beers, really a cider, get opened once and actually hit the ceiling because um, it had an infection. So as a judge, you're going to taste a lot of mediocre and bad beer and some beers that would make the angels sing. It's going to be everything. And you'll learn a lot as you go. Uh, a home brewer will learn about making better beer themselves if they're a judge. And I think that that type of thing, uh, competitions help people get better. They help judges get better. And they're a heck of a lot of fun. And definitely volunteer as a steward. It's a heck of a lot of fun. It's so fun. I've done it once right before COVID hit and it was a blast and I feel like I learned so much and I was able to grab a judge afterwards and give him one of my beers just after the competition and be like, I know there's something off with this, but I can't place it. Will you help me figure it out? And we determined I was using a blend of yeasts that might've been in competition. And so I was getting some phenols I didn't want. And it was such a great experience. I, I fully suggest people do it. And I had a friend judging in it as well. So it was kind of like a party. <laughs> Loved it. If you go to the BJCP officers page, I'm on there. And if you ever have any questions about the exam or competitions or anything, feel free to drop me a line. I'm always happy to help everybody to become judges and to get better at it. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Sandy. This was so enlightening and I can't wait to start studying. You're such an inspiration. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be here today. Look forward to chatting with you again sometime. Thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I will be in touch when I'm doing my beer judging. <laughs> Thank you.
Joining me is my good friend and neighbor, Jenny Mermelstein. We review beers together on YouTube, and she's actually brewed with me before. And if you want to see more of her or see this review in video, you can go to our Patreon. And so since this episode is about competitions, I picked up two gold medal winners from the 2020 Great American Beer Festival. First up is a well-known favorite, Allagash White, and it is a Belgian-style wheat ale and won gold in the Belgian-style wit beer category. I've had this one before, but the concept of coming at this from a critical taste standpoint rather than a drinker standpoint, that's very different. And so I was kind of excited because you've given me a whole education in being a critical taster since probably the last time I had this. So it's gonna be really interesting for me to approach a beer that I know I like with a much more educated palate. I like this beer because it is so approachable. Um, you can find it anywhere. A lot of people have drank it. I'm sure most of our listeners have drank it before. Just, you know, you can find it at any random gastropub, whatever. And to know that it's won an award at the Great American Beer Festival, like technically means that in a blind judging, it was the best of all the beers submitted by breweries around the country. And it's the truest to the style. For me to understand why I like something was just as valuable as understanding how things were done. So if this is a beer I knew I liked, starting to critically understand why I like it was a hugely valuable part of like becoming a critical taster. I have not come back to this beer since I started with Sarah. So this is gonna be an interesting experiment because I have not smelled this, I have not tasted this since all of that. So now knowing I like this and knowing that I wasn't wrong to like it, coming back to it and finding the taste profiles and now critically approaching this will help me like find those profiles and now for someone that's just starting or someone that's coming back to trying to revisit, it's a perfect way I think to like reevaluate your own palate. Yeah, and one thing that you said, feeling bad about liking something, you should never feel bad about liking any beer. Everyone's tastes are different. Even if you don't like award-winning beer, who cares? I think you're completely right. And I didn't have that. And I have that now a lot because of you. This is exciting for me because we're revisiting something. You and I both like this. I also think you've allowed me to sophisticate my palate past this. I mean, you know, there's a beer for every occasion. There's something to say about drinking a Bud Light in a pool. Okay, so the color is super light yellow, like super very straw. Baby yellow. Baby yellow, what you would paint a baby's room. Baby yellow, mildly hazy. Mildly hazy, yeah. Low just, carbonation. Low carbonation, but it's got a very nice white head when you do get it. And I feel like the nose, it's, it's, it's just mild. It's just like it's, delicate. It's a very delicate phenol wheat beer nose you know you've taught me that word phenol is something again as a drinker there were times that like i i, I like thought i knew there was i was like it's the thing that i can't but phenol is one of those things that i never would have placed phenols and esters are what yeast produce um as they ferment and different yeast strains give you different phenols and esters and wheat beers are known for having 
and especially Belgian styles in general, have very specific phenols. So you know how we always say Belgian-y? Yeah. This is definitely a Belgian-y beer. In addition though, I feel like there's a little bit of the way I, as a as a non-brewer, I would have been like, it's a little bit sterile, the Band-Aid-y almost. Hmm. That is actually um, an off flavor that is a part of the guys. But mild, because too much of that, or too alcoholy, and I really don't like it. Um, it's like the sweet Band-Aid smell. Which I don't hate. No, and it's it, good. Like, the citrus is really mild, really delicate, mm -hmm. but it's a little, it's like a little, um, the Bath and Body Works tangerine or something. Oh, Not yeah. Like a, is it tangerine or is it like lemon? But it's all like very delicate. Everything on the aroma is very delicate. Yeah. It's delicate and soft, pillowy. Pillowy, it, it, there's nothing, even with phenols being an alcohol-based thing, it's not stringent. Mm -mm. It all like is suggestive. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really lovely smell. Honestly, you could take the aroma of this and put it in a like, um, like a candle and it would be nice. Yeah, because it's, <laughs> it's very suggestive. Like it's very much a little bit of everything, but it's very suggestive is the best word I can come up with, but it's not accurate. It's just gentle. I get a lot of coriander. Interesting. Coriander for me can go one of two ways and I agree with you, but it goes hand in hand with orange peel. It tastes to me like fresh ground coriander smells. So when I make my wheat beer, I use coriander and the smell is like my favorite thing in the world. My husband and I keep saying that we need to like make a perfume that is just straight ground coriander because it's lovely. So and that's what this tastes like to me. I love the fact that you guys have found that balance because there's so many times that beers overdo it with coriander and it makes it taste like soap. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the cilantro thing, so it's genetic. Well, yes and no, but like whether it's genetic or not, like sometimes you you overdo any good flavor and it's bad. Yeah. In for me with IPAs, when you overdo coriander, it just is bad. I agree that there's a there. The coriander in this one is herbal and delicate and perfumey. Mm -hmm. The fact that you were like, we want to like put this into a, a candle is because it's so aromatic. Mm -hmm. It's so delicate. It's so inviting. It's so warm. It is a, it's a hug. This isn't a beer that I order on a regular basis or buy ever. Um, I'm not a huge wheat beer fan, but you know, taking a look at this in a like actual review fashion, a really is, it's thing. really changing my mind because it is so well done. Sarah, 100%, that's exactly where I was, where I was, that was kind of, I was curious when I was coming at this because trying to come at this from a critical tasting standpoint, I was like, either I'm gonna be disappointed mm -hmm. or I'm gonna be like so proud of myself for being right. And I'm like, it's more than that. Like I'm blown away by what this beer is. It does and not it has, shock me. It has a lot of depth. It's not, you know, a flat beer flavor. It's it's herbaceous, it's phenolic, it- Warm. It's, yeah, it's just really drinkable, but, um, you know, perfumey, but in a good way. And that's hard, that's a hard balance to strike. Thinking about being a taster in a competition with your eyes closed. I know, I can see why they picked this the one. The fact that this is such a huge, I mean, that's, and that's the reason why competitions, I would imagine, do things blind. Mm -hmm. Because this is a huge name brewery. And yeah, and, I, and we came into it with preconceived notions. I was like, oh, it's gonna be good, sure, burp. 
If you close my eyes, I would have expected this to be like a small, like this is so complex. It's a testament to why it's everywhere. It is a great beer. Thinking about this being the way some drinkers learn to drink beer, it's not a bad way. Man, this should be the way people learn to drink beer. I know, right? Wanna drink more of it? Oh, there's more? All right, so I would call this a fantastic beer. I would call this, I think it's more than that. I think I expected to be underwhelmed. They earn my respect in a huge way. Next up, of course, is an IPA. El Segundo's Hammerland Double IPA. It's a 8.6% winner of the Imperial IPA category it's in the same six. competition. Yes. Damn it. I know. So when I picked this up, uh, the guy at the liquor store actually said that they started doing this list of beers that were better than Pliny the Elder, and that he said that this was on the list. And I actually want to do a comparison of their a side list. By side? Yeah. I actually have a bottle of Pliny that I picked up the same day. I mean, to be fair, okay, I'm an understander of why Pliny of the Elder is so respected. Like, it really is a fucking great so beer. Good. But it also, I think the reason that Pliny of the Elder is so important is, is it was one of the first beers ever to really explore the depth of that category. Pliny of the Elder is not my preferred style of IPA. Oh, it's absolutely my preferred I know. style. So that's my point is the, I respect Planet of the Elder for what they are and the way that they present their style in a perfect way. Oh, it was a light carbonation. Look at that color. Yeah, the color is a very light straw. It's definitely not as light as the Allagash was, but it's clear. Very clear. Very st straw it's, was a good, even light lighter than straw. It's a crispy boy. Okay, when you, if they're talking about Pliny, this is way lighter in color than Pliny. Oh yeah. Light nose. Mm-hmm, but it's, it's got a sweetness and, uh, there's, wait, there's something specific. It's like Cascade. You're going specifically to hops, I'm going to specifically to memories. Nope, I'm wrong. Don't tell me. It's my favorite combination, if that helps you. No, that doesn't. <laughs> this puts me in a horse stall. It's Mosaic and Simcoe. It means nothing to me. You don't know the Mosaic Simcoe pairing? That means citrus and, and spice to me, but I don't actually know specifically. Mosaic and Simcoe is my favorite hop combination. And a lot of, it's just a very specific, sweet, like pineapple-y, fruity scent. And uh, my favorite IPA that I make actually is that pairing. This and doesn't feel like Pliny at all. No, they were saying it's better than Pliny. But it's like not, I think, I assumed it was gonna be similar and it's so not No, it's, I've, I've tried this beer before and it's very different than Pliny. Okay, so. Honestly, I like Pliny more than this Tell one. me, tell me whether you think, if I'm right or wrong. Pineapple for me can sometimes be overwhelming, but can this be more guava than pineapple? Yeah, guava. Pineapple guava. Pineapple, pineapple, okay. But pineapple can sometimes be stringent. The guava seems really round and like kind of, um, yeah. I just don't like Oily. the flavor of guava, so I don't like calling things guava. But, or pot, papaya? Papaya. That's Cause it. it's like, it's a little mushy. Like it feels, it, it smells mushy. Like it it's feels papaya. like the mushy, or like mango mushy, like yeah. mushy tropical fruit. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely very tropical and- It doesn't smell bitter. No, not at all. 
Tastes different though. It yeah. smells really mushy. It's definitely a West Coast IPA. Ooh. Okay, so it finishes like foot. <laughs> foot. Yeah. I don't get foot. It I get bitterness like, on the, the it tongue. It's like foot. It finishes like total foot. It smells really tropical and it, it, it finishes like staying a foot in my mouth. Do I do not like the finish. The way it finishes reminds me of like taking a pill and like letting it sit on your tongue. Yes! Yeah. When, they, when the coating dissolves? Yeah. It's the same concept that like medicinal yeah. factory. But I like the way it starts. The finish is just bad for me. I think it's just like super, super hoppy. And like I don't do well with super hoppy beers. It's I need more of but a what? balanced situation. Oh no, I can't do this. Really? Fruit? I think you need to drink more of it because I think you're gonna adjust to it. That's possible. Okay, I'm willing to trust you on that. And I 100% know that your palate needed to adjust. And truly speaking, it does normally take three tastes to adjust and I've only had two. There you go. So I will speak to that and Just I will- go for it. Okay. Because you still get the bitterness, but I think when, when you drink it more, you get more of the tropical. It's still, okay, so the beginning still tastes like wet fruit to me. I still get the, the, the foot. It's, it's honestly, if it had like 10 less IBUs, I think I would like it a lot more. I'm not saying that they did this beer bad. I don't like it. Yeah. Now they might make millions off this beer. There may be a lot of people that love this beer. You know El what I mean? Segundo is a really good brewery, honestly. And I actually like a lot of their beers. Yeah. This one in particular, millions and millions and millions. I might be the, I might be the odd man out and that's okay. And what you have continued to tell me specifically on that last conversation we had was the beauty is I need to trust my palate. Yeah. Don't drink what you don't like. This beer is not my beer. Except I was However. forcing you to drink what you didn't like. Well, we've got another review on the books. I was excited to find some gold winners and you know, just because something wins a gold medal doesn't mean you have to like it as we have proven today. Cheers. And don't forget, drink half the keg. Thanks for listening to Brewing After Hours on the Believe Podcast Network. Find the show and lots of other great shows at Believe.com. If you're digging the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also stream the Brewing After Hours podcast on your favorite preferred directory. A special thank you to Honus Honus, the lyrical genius behind my favorite band, Man Man, who created the song you hear at the beginning of my podcast. Check the band's new album and more at manmanbands.com and at manmanbandband on Instagram. If you're looking for some more homebrewing tips, make sure to follow me on Instagram at flora underscore brewing or subscribe to Flora Brewing on YouTube. For ad-free brewing tutorials and reviews, plus a more one-on-one -on -one experience, become a Patreon member. It's just Patreon backslash Flora Brewing. I'll catch up with you guys next week. Thanks again for listening and a friendly reminder to always support your local craft breweries. Cheers.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.